Let's get into God's word, John 17. This morning, Lord willing, we'll finish out the chapter. We are uh, picking things up in verse 20. And remember, um, John 17 is a prayer of the Lord. Uh, He's been there in the upper room for, um, uh, you know what, celebrating the Passover with the disciples. And we've just seen uh, an abundant amount of teaching through these uh, chapters in John leading up to John 17. uh, So much about abiding in the Lord and the Lord's death and resurrection that was about to happen and so forth. So many good things. And then again, in chapter 17, he begins to pray to the Father. Last week, we saw kind of the middle part of the prayer, and we saw the Lord praying to the Father about the security that we have in him, and him saying, not one of these that you've given to me will be lost, except for the son of perdition. And so we talked about that last week, that, uh, you know what, by, by grace alone, through faith alone, and him alone, we have assurance of our salvation. And then we saw the Lord praying about the joy that we have available to us through him, And praise God, that joy is available even this morning as we get our eyes on him and as we're found abiding in him. And then we saw the Lord praying about us being in the world, but not of the world. And one of those things that separate us from the world is God's word. As he said, sanctify them with your truth. Your word is truth. And talked about the fact that we need to be a people of the word of God. We need to take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ and through the scriptures. Well, this morning, again, we will finish out the prayer here, the Lord willing. And we see in verse 20, the Lord really making it clear that he wasn't just praying for the disciples that were with him in the upper room, but he was praying for all those who would come to believe in him. Uh, All those in the immediate future at that time and in the distant future. And he was praying for us. And we're going to talk about that, how Again, Jesus was a a man of prayer, and we should be as well, and how he knew the end from the beginning because he is God, and also how he prayed for events that would unfold, and we have the opportunity to pray about future things as well as current things, and I think that's something that we should be doing. And then we'll see the Lord again talking about unity, the unity of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then the call for us to walk in unity first and foremost with him and then with one another in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do so, it's to his glory. And it's a great witness to the world. And it's very interesting in this prayer, we'll see, and we saw earlier, the Lord saying, I don't pray for the world, but I pray for those that you've given to me. But then he's praying that we'd be unified with him and one another, that we could be a light unto the world. And we'll consider that. And I think that uh, we'll see here that our, our role in, in evangelism is a lot bigger than perhaps we we've been uh, thinking in the past. And then we'll see again the Lord praying about his desire for us to be where he is, and we'll talk about the fact that indeed he's going to return one day, and we will uh, literally be where he is, and that's a, a wonderful hope that we have in him. So let's read the text together, verse 20 through 26, and then we'll go through this a verse at a time and hopefully leave here, change for the better and uh, you know for his glory. So verse 20, the Lord says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may be known And the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Verse 24. 
Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared that I have declared them your name and will declare it that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So again, the Lord's continuing in prayer and he says, I do not pray for these alone, but those who will believe in me through their word. And again, we see the Lord in this, not just praying for his disciples in the room, but praying for all of us. And before we talk about that, I just want to go back to something we've been hitting on the last two weeks. And I want to hit it on again, because I think it's so huge. We see the Lord praying. We see the Lord during his earthly ministry, constantly making time to go to the Father, to go to the Father as an individual, to take the disciples with him in prayer. And listen, as the Lord was a man of prayer, we too are called to be people of prayer. As the Lord did, we are supposed to do. We are supposed to be imitators of Christ. 1 Peter 1.13 puts it like this, but just as he called you as holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And part of what holiness is, is to be set apart for the work of the Lord, to be set apart for the Lord. And as Jesus was set apart for the work of the Father, again, one of the big key components in his ministry on earth was his time spent before the Father. And I don't think we can emphasize enough the call that we have to be a people of prayer. It's interesting in that text that I just read in 1 Peter 1.15, the few verses before that, I think we get some exhortation and some teaching to help us to be a people of prayer, some things for us to consider. Let me just read that and we'll talk about it here before you know long, we'll just continue on in the verse. But in 1 Peter 1.13, it says, therefore, gird up the loids of your mind, be sober, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ and as obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust as in your ignorance. And then it talks about being holy as he is holy. And what we see here is a, you know, an addressing of our spirit and of our mindset. You know, be sober-minded. Gird up the loins of your mind. Rest your hope fully in the grace of the Lord at the coming of him and not being conformed to the world. This is a call for us to think different than the world thinks around us, to have a biblical mindset, an eternal mindset. A sober mindset is one that recognizes God's on the throne. My time here is short. I have breath of my lungs to live for his glory. And there's people all around me that don't know him and their life hangs on a thread. And at any time they could pass away and stand before him at judgment. And it should be a stirring in our hearts to want to pray for these folks to want to pray for the body of Christ, to want to pray that we could be effective in the master's hands, to want to pray that the Lord would be high and lifted up. Because listen, the word of God says about prayer that the fervent, effective prayers of a righteous man does what? It avails much. And that's why we see the Lord constantly praying. He knew that those prayers availed much. And it's the same true with us when we go before him standing on the righteousness that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we also need to recognize 
But listen, prayer is a great privilege that we have. And again, it's one of our highest callings. There'll be times when individuals will be invited perhaps to, you know what, meet with someone who from the world's perspective is in a place of honor or a, you know, at high spot. And they'll talk about, you know, what an honor it was to go, you know, to meet with this person or I met that person and it was a high honor. And we should give honor where honor is due. But listen, there's no greater privilege than being able to meet with Jesus Christ every single day. You know, there'll be folks that they'll have a picture. You know, I met with so-and-so. I met with the president back, you know, and like, you know, and that's, that's all fine and good. But listen, you know, as, as, as neat as that may be, we can say, but listen, I, I roll with Jesus everywhere I go. <laughs> with God who made all this. With the one who died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave. And, and through him, again, I can come boldly to the throne of grace because of the shed blood of Jesus. And we read about that throughout the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 10 speaks of that. And so I just want to pose the question again. Where is your prayer life? Are you abounding in prayer? Are you shrinking back from it? Well, listen, we're almost here at the end of this year. And I know it's a time when a lot of people make New Year's resolutions. I'm going to do this or that. And a lot of times it centers around dieting and exercise and so forth. And listen, bodily exercise profits little. But you know what profits much? A strong prayer life. And so I would hope that we would have a, have a resolve in our heart uh, you know what, not even to wait to the new year. Let's, let's ask the Lord to help us today to be found a people more in our prayer closet, more, you know what, as a praying family and fellowship and so forth. Can we say amen to that? And, you know, this is neat because we get insights to prayer here. Because the Lord says, I do not pray for these alone, talking about the 12 or at this point the 11 there in the upper room. He says, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And so we see the Lord praying for the here and now at that point, but he also was praying for that which was to come. And I think that absolutely this is him modeling something for us. That yes, we should pray for things going on right now, but we also can pray for things, you know, that perhaps will unfold in the future. And I think we should also pray the Lord willing in those things, but I've seen the fruit of this in my own life. When I came, you know what, back to the Lord as a young man, uh, you know what, the Lord had put upon my heart the desire to be married. And I wanted to meet a woman who feared God and loved the Lord. You know what I began to do? I began to pray every day, Lord, if it's your will that I have a wife, you would send someone who fears the Lord. And I believe the Lord absolutely answered that prayer. And then once we got married, I began to pray, Lord, if it's your will that we have children, Lord, I want to pray that your hand would even be upon them even right now. And Lord, I want to pray that, Lord, they would love you all of their days. And I've prayed that and prayed that, and and I see the Lord doing a work in their lives. And now I pray for my kids uh, every day. I pray, Lord, if it's your will that, that they marry, that your hand would be on their spouse right now. And I got a son who's engaged and I believe the Lord's heard that prayer. She's a young woman that loves the Lord and praying that for my daughters. Lord, send someone that would fear God if that's your will. And, and I pray they would fear the Lord. And then even praying, Lord, if that happens and you want to bless them with children, that, Lord, your hand would be upon them and they will love you all their days. And 
Listen, I look at this as two things. I call it uh, preterative uh, maintenance instead of preventative maintenance, as well as just trying to build a memorial before the Lord. Because my, la- my last breath might be this afternoon. And, and I know that the Lord will hear my prayers and they'll stand before him even once I go to be with him. And so I want to take advantage of that opportunity that I have today. And I hope that would be our heart because the Lord, again, he's modeling it right here. He's not just praying for these alone, but those who would believe. And in that upper room, the Lord was praying for you. Isn't that awesome? He was praying for me. He was praying for those that still will come to faith before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is long suffering in his return, not wanting for any to perish. Also in this, we see the Lord here in the upper room as God really looking down through the corridor times. Listen, knowing that there would be more who would come to faith in him and knowing all of them by name and knowing the number of hairs on their head. And listen, he can do that because he is God. It's one of the attributes of God. He knows the end from the beginning and it's not a guessing game. He knows it absolutely perfect how everything will unfold. He dwells outside of time and space. I've heard it described before as someone who is up, you know, in a tall building as a parade is passing by. And if you're on the ground, you can kind of only see what's in front of you. Oh, here comes the Snoopy balloon or whatever, you know, what's coming next. But up from that high point, you can see the whole parade from the, again, beginning of it to the end of it. Except the Lord even sees more clearly. He sees every detail. He knows the number of hairs on your head. Notice Isaiah 46, 9 It says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. He knows the end from the beginning. And listen, one little side note here. This is why when there's people who run around and say that they're a prophet, and they prophesy future events that don't come to pass, which is most of them that say, I'm a prophet. In fact, I get a red flag even when people start saying, I'm a prophet. I think we should pray that we should prophesy, but I get a little bit of red flag when someone starts saying they're a prophet, and usually they change their name to Elijah or some, something like that, you know, and I got a son named Elijah. He was named that at birth, but... <laughs> Listen, if they're saying they're hearing from God and things aren't unfolding the way that they said they would in their prophecy, that's when it's evidence that you're not a prophet and it's time to shh, it's time to be quiet. And, and this is sad in the body of Christ. There's just so many times individuals like this, they're not held accountable. And you'll see in false prophecy after false prophecy and a lot of the doctrine not lining up in scripture And no one says, it's time for you to stop with this and repent because we don't want to judge anything. But the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians that we are to judge prophecies. So just a little side note there. Also, again, in this, he says, I don't pray for these alone, but for those who who will believe in me through their words. So listen, he's talking about those who would come to faith. And that's how we know we are his. That's how we know who are his? Who are his? It's those who had, those who would, and those who will believe in him. 
That's the mark that you are born again. That you believe, not that he was, but you believe in him. Do you believe in him today? Can you say amen to that? Listen, that simple verse of John three sixteen. there's so much there. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, why? To die for our sins, to resurrect and defeat death. And it says here that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So it's not just believing that he is or he was, but believing in him. Listen, there's a big difference between believing there's a bank in town and entrusting your money to that bank in town. And there's a big difference between the two. And there's a lot of people that believe Jesus was and I think it's pretty foolish not to believe that, you know, he walked the earth considering our calendar revolves around him. But there's a big difference between that and believing in him, trusting in him as your Lord, as your Savior, saying, just like you would do with your money, I'm going to trust it into this bank. I'm going to trust my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe he died and rose from the grave, that he is God. And Lord, I surrender my life to you. And I hope and pray we're all in that place. And if you're not, again, the Bible says, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. His arms are open up to you today. He wants to save you today and wash you and be your Lord today. And I would pray this day, even right now, you will call upon his name. Again, and we're almost done with this verse. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but for those who will believe in me. Notice, through their word. And this is interesting. How did they come to believe? How do we come to believe? Well, through the word of God. Because the word that they would declare wouldn't be their own word, but it would be the word of God given to them. As a Holy Spirit moved upon men, holy men, and the scriptures were Pen, as we read there in Second Peter 1, 19 through 21. So again, these men would be entrusted with the word of God. These men would be, again, foundational on the establishment of the church on the rock of Jesus Christ. They would pen the word of truth as the Holy Spirit moved upon them. And so he's saying here through the proclamation of the word of God, people come to believe. In fact, Jesus said in John 5, 24, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has everlasting life. This is beautiful. Shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. Aren't you glad in Christ Jesus that you're not going to stand at judgment with those who have rejected him? I'm not going to be judged in that way. Why? Because I'm covered under the shed blood of the lamb. I'm no longer under the law. If I'm judged by the law, I'm going to hell, but under the grace of God, I'm not going to be part of that white throne judgment. Now, we'll have a different type of judgment of what we did with the gifts and talents that he gave to us, but listen, that doesn't have a bearing on our everlasting, you know, landing spot. We know where we're going in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's that's just a, a glorious thing. Verse 21, again, he says that they... All may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and that they also may be one in us, that all the world may believe that you sent me. And so again, he's praying that those that have believed through the word of God, that they all may be one as the son and father are one, that we would be one as well. And listen, there's a truth there this morning we need to know. Whether you like it or not, if you're in the body of Christ, you're one with others that have faith in the Lord. 
If you have real faith, then you are a real part of the body of Jesus Christ. The Bible describes it this way. Notice 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. And so, listen, we need to accept that. You think about your own body. Um, Listen, you might not like your nose or your ears or your stomach or your receding hairline or whatever else. But listen, that's yours and it's there to stay. And I know some people say, well, I can alter that today. Well, listen, deep down underneath all even all that, it's still your nose, your ears or whatever else. And in Christ Jesus, we are the body of Jesus Christ. And, and that's something that, that, that we need to accept and acknowledge. Now, we need to use discernment in things. And, and again, uh, it could be a challenge nowadays, as we'll get to here in a minute, to, to uh, you know, at, at times really know who's in the Lord and who isn't. Um, but one thing we do need to know is that those with real faith are really in the body of Jesus Christ And that's something that needs to be upon my mind in this call to represent him and to minister to others. Um, So he's saying here, the Lord wants us to be one as the the son and the father are one. And if you look at the father and the son, there's perfect unity there. And for us to have perfect unity with one another, this is where it starts. It doesn't start with us, let's get unified while God's over here, but it starts by us first of all, as individuals being unified with the Lord ourselves. And listen, that starts with, first of all, knowing him as your Lord and Savior, and then secondly, being in a place where you're in agreement with the Scriptures, that the Scriptures are the standard, that we go back to the Word of God. What's God's Word say about that matter? We're going to stand in that. We're not going to waver from it, that this is, you know what, the foundation of truth in Christ that we're going to take everything back to. Amos 3.3 says, how can two walk together unless they are agreed? And the call we have as, Christ, as Christians is to agree that he is Lord and to agree that his word is the final say on all matters. And that's what we're going to stand in. That's what we're going to test all things by. That's what we're going to preach. And that's what we're going to proclaim. And you see this call throughout scripture. You see it in the early church. That the standard was the scriptures, the word of truth. In fact, Jesus said in 831 of John, he said, uh, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So again, we get saved in Christ and then we abide in the word of God. A matter comes up, let's go back to God's word. What's God's word say about the matter? Listen, that's what we agree in. That's what we are going to walk in. You see in the early church in Acts 2.42, it says, they continued steadfastly, the first thing listed, the apostles' doctrine, the word of God. It says, then fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. And I'll tell you something, if doctrine isn't first in that, they continue in fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers, and then the word of God or doctrine was, you know what, a secondary issue, You might look like you're having fellowship and unity, but if the Lord is not the center of that and his truth and his word is not the foundation of it, there's not a real unity that is taking place there. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.13 tells us, 
But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from who you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known, notice, the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So the exhortation to Timothy was to continue in the scriptures knowing there'd be imposters, people who aren't say they're not who they say they are, evil men that would walk in deception, who would deceive and who are deceived. Why? Because they don't continue in the word of God. And sadly, you look around and if you begin to test things by the word of truth, these deceivers that, again, it's prophesied about, there would be more and more, are really at an all-time high, where the standard isn't God's word, where there's more of man's opinion being taught, where there is a, you know what, a low view of the word of God and a high view of man's opinion and doctrines and demons and trends in the world and so forth. And listen, usually these individuals are at the forefront of promoting unity. Well, let's all get together. But the foundation for it really is humanism, not the word of God. And even in their effort to unify, they're actually destroying the unity that is found in the father and son because he has to be the one whom we're first unified with. And if we're going to push God to the side and his word to the side, and then we're going to say, let's all get together, though, in the name of unity, are we really unified? If the Lord has been pushed out, like in the church of Laodicea, and he's knocking on the door saying, hey, guys, let me back in. We're not. And the word of God tells us that the time would come when, you know what, men would not endure sound doctrine. You read about there in 2 Timothy 4. Where he got a charge to preach the word, but he says the time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they'll heap up teachers for themselves. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. And if we're going to stand in fables and not the word of God, you can get everyone together in a big kumbaya circle, but there is not true Christian unity if Christ is not in the middle of the circle. If God's word is not there. And I've just seen this explode in, in, you know, at the last number of years. So many times where let's all get together, but God's word was not part of the get together. Remember a few years back, uh, you know, being invited to a, a, a ministerial, you know, a gathering with, I mean, not, not just a few, but, uh, you know, a, a few hundred pastors at it. And the aim was, you know, we want to take a Sunday and not have church. We're going to take a Sunday and we're just going to go out and serve the community. So we're not going to gather to worship the Lord. We're just going to go out and serve the community. And I raised the question at the meeting. I said, well, uh, you know what? How are we going to share the gospel with these people? And suggested a gospel track, you know, with the simple you know, four spiritual laws, how to bring people to Christ. And the guy headed up the meeting. He looked at me right in the eye in front of, again, several hundred pastors. And he said, this is not about the gospel. It's about loving people. I about fell off my chair. And I said to him, how are we loving people if we don't share the gospel with them? And they die that night and they perish and they go to 
everlasting destruction. I got a glare that looked like I hate you. And at that point, you know what? I said, I'm out of here. Never went back. Because there's no unity if the gospel of Jesus Christ, if the Lord is not in the center of it. We got to, again, be unified with him first. We got to stand on the word and then listen. This is huge. Then we got to act on the word. It's not enough to know the word. We got to act on it. Jesus talks about the individual that hears his word and acts on it will be like the man who built his house on the rock and then the wind blew like this morning and the rain descended and the house stood. We got to be a people who not only know the word and again have a fear of God with the word, but act on the word. Because oftentimes I see one or the other. I know a lot of people that they really know the word. They're really grounded in doctrine and so forth. But when it comes to acting on it, it's, it's not so much there. It just isn't. And I know even other people that they got a shun of the word and yet practically, and I know a lot of it is more their efforts, but at least when it comes to just common courtesies, that's more apparent and more there than these people who, you know, they can tell you every verse in the Bible backward and forward and tell you, you know, all three or four views of the second coming of Christ or whatever it is. I know more and more people that, again, they're people that, that operate maybe in discernment type ministries and, you know, they'll tell you everything wrong with every single church that's everywhere in their community in the country, but they themselves aren't even in church. That's gross hypocrisy. It's like, discern yourself, man. <laughs> There's a problem with that. There's got to be a balance in these things. It's not enough to know the word. Listen, think, think about this, First Peter 4, 7. We'll read this, and this is something we should know, but the question is, are we doing this? It says, but the end of all things is at hand. And boy, it's more at hand than it was than when that was written. It says, therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers, and above all things, put on fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling, as each one has received a gift Minister to minister at one another as good stewards of the manifest great manifest grace of God, and so how can we have real unity and fervent fervent love if we don't fervently fellowship together in prayer? How's that going to be there? How can we have true unity if we don't, as it says here, if we don't forgive each other? If we don't have hospitality, we're not welcoming of one another. How are we going to have unity if we don't cease complaining about one another? How how are we going to have that? It's not that we turn a blind eye to sin or situations that need to be addressed, but we go about it in a biblical way. And there's so many people that are just bound up in bitterness and records of wrongs. And they'll tell you everything wrong about everyone else. And they can point out every speck and they don't realize they got this massive log and they're just mowing everyone down with it every time they turn their head. And how can we have unity if we're stingy with the gifts that God has given to us? As each has received a gift, minister it to one another. Just as there's different parts of our body, they all have a gift, they all have a function. And boy, there's great unity when they're all functioning. Boy, it helps the whole body be healthy and so forth. Things for us to consider, for all of us, myself included. I'm not saying this is you and not me. Listen, these are things we all need to grow in. Can we say amen to that? 
Notice here, he says all this, that the world may believe that you sent me. He said it earlier in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, the world will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And listen, if we just want to proclaim a watered-down worldly message, if we don't want to act on our calling that each one of us have, if we just want to grumble and complain, keep records of wrong, act on our impulses versus the scriptures, you know, not only will the world not see that we're disciples and they won't see the light of Christ, they'll step back. And I think a lot are stepping back and saying this whole Christianity thing is just a joke is what it is. Again, we got to remember that this call to unity isn't us acting on our thoughts and our ways and our emotions, but acting in accordance to the call of God, the commandments of God. We got to be unified with his mind and his heart if we have any chance of walking in unity with one another. Think of uh, Philippians 4.2 and Paul's wrapping up his letter to those in Philippi and he says, I implore Iota, not Yoda, but Iota, and Sintus um, to be of the same mind in the Lord. So these two gals obviously were bickering. They weren't unified. And, and what was the, the basis of their lack of unity they weren't of the same mind in the Lord. Yoda had her mind and Sintish had her mind and neither of them had the mind of the Lord. And there wasn't a unity there. And he says, gals, if you, you, you want to get them unified, have them both get the mind of the Lord. Acknowledge God's word and then act on God's word. And maybe that starts with, hey, I'm sorry for acting on my impulses versus standing in the scriptures. And listen, another point of this verse, these gals' names, they don't live on. When was the next time, last time you found, you know, oh, here's my daughter. We named her Yoda. You don't find that. They didn't leave much of a legacy, and they're bickering. And how many times in us standing in our own mind and wanting to get our own way, it's wanting to kind of promote ourselves and make ourselves known and puff up our chest. And yet, the Lord said, if you hold on to your life, you'll lose it. If you lay it down for my sake, you'll gain it. These are things I'm trying to learn and grow in myself. Again, we got to stand in his word. And as we stand in it, we act on it. That's how, again, we can see that we're standing in the love of the Lord. A verse we looked at often, 1 John 5, 2. By this we know we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Listen, we stand in the word of God. His commandments in the scripture. And again, notice his commandments aren't burdensome and they're not burdensome as we've looked at this over and over again in recent weeks in John 15. They're not burdensome if we do what? If we abide in Christ. Again, he says, if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What's abiding in Christ? Being in the word. Being a man or woman of prayer. Being a person of worship. Being someone that says, yes, Jesus, versus, no, Lord, I don't got time, Lord. I got to do something else, Lord. I want my own way, Lord. When you're abiding in him, and again, he's working in your life, these things are so much easier. In fact, they're things then that we want to do versus things that we have to do. They're not meant to be burdensome. 
Verse 22, he says, And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. So what, what glory and context here is Jesus talking about? Well, the context is the glory of the unity of the Father and Son. Listen, this morning, it's a glorious thing that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit do not bicker. <laughs> that they have a perfect relationship. They are the perfect mind perfectly at every single turn. That we don't have to wake up and go, oh boy, look at that wind. Jesus must have been sent to his room because of an attitude. Never the case perfectly unified and listen that's a glorious thing something to rejoice in that the father son and the holy spirit singular yet one at the same time are in perfect unity think about it consider that throughout the day that our god again is perfectly unified in truth and in righteousness and uprightness and holiness so he says listen that glory that that you've given me i've given it to them and so this is an invitation to walk in unity with the Lord, with God, and with each other. And, and I don't think we'll be able to perfectly do that until we go to be with Jesus. But when we are moving forward in it, and there's glimpses of it, and maybe seasons of it, listen, it's a glorious thing indeed to be part of. In fact, there's a whole psalm written about how beautiful it is. I'm going to read the whole psalm to you right now. Well, it's only three verses. But Psalm 33, 1, it says, Behold, how good and pleasant is it for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And it is a glorious thing when, again, the Lord's foundation and there's unity. And again, that unity is only found when it's first we're unified with him. We're going to stand in the scriptures. Jesus is first. Let's put our eyes on him. And, you know, what? that's, again, the only hope we even have for it by, you know, what? looking unto him. And I just encourage you, listen, don't miss out on the opportunity to walk in and, and, and to want to be part of that unity. Each one of us got to do our own part in it. But there's so many folks that kind of already touched on it that, that, you know, they get frustrated or they get so bent on their own mind and getting their own way, they just said, I'm, I'm checking out of it. And we got an exhortation concerning this. Hebrews 10, 23, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who, who promises is faithful and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, notice, and so much more as you see the day approaching. And we're seeing the day of the Lord approaching. It's getting closer and closer, if anything else, because yesterday is gone and it's another day. So the day is getting closer. And so he says, listen, don't forsake. And listen, there's a lot of temptation to forsake the assembling of the brethren, Right? There's hurt the times come. We don't get our way. You know, we don't like the way someone looks or something. I mean, sometimes it's just really petty stuff. But each of us got to take it upon ourselves to say, Lord, you've called me to be part of fellowship. And so I want to find Christian fellowship that God's word is the foundation of and the center of. And then I want to step back and make sure that I'm doing my part in that. 
that, that I'm being long-suffering, that I'm being forgiven, that I don't have roots of bitterness in me, that I'm, I'm praying for folks and I'm trying to love them and, and I'm growing in this as hopefully they're growing and we're growing together, that I'm using my gifts. Easy to step back and say, boy, why isn't anyone using their gift in this area? I'm using mine. And again, all of this in, in not an effort of the flesh, but in a manner that's not burdensome. Why? Because hopefully we're abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ more and more. But verse 23, he says, I and them, you and me, that they may be, be, may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and I have loved them as you have loved me. And listen, without him, there's absolutely no perfection. Have, have we figured that out? We're all far from perfect. We are, a, we are a broken people. We're a sinful people. We are an ornery people. We're a selfish people. And, and again, Jesus has to be the foundation. The word of God has to be the foundation. And praise God in Christ Jesus, positionally, we are perfect. Again, we're not under judgment if we're in Christ Jesus. We're not under the law that will damn us. We're under the grace of God. So that's a great starting point, amen? And then from there, practically, we are a work in progress. And I thank God that, that Jesus is a patient carpenter when it comes to the work he's doing in our life. Scripture you're familiar with, Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad that the Lord's long-suffering with us. I'm glad that he's long-suffering with me. And I, listen, I don't want to take that for granted. I, I, I want there to be fruit because of the long-suffering that the Lord has for me. So again, as, as we get our eyes upon him, he continues that work in us. And again, the key of it is Jesus. The key is, again, fellowship with him, the word of God coming together to glorify him, to want to get the message of Jesus Christ out to the world, less of us and more of him. And the more there is of him and the less there is of us, the more we will supernaturally be on the same page and be unified in the Lord. And then all of a sudden, guess what? It's a work of the Holy Ghost, not something we're trying to muster up. And that's how it has to be. Listen, if it's put on us, let's all get together and unify. We already read how that went in the Bible. Go read about the Tower of Babel. Men got together and they decided, let's overthrow this God. God better be the foundation, the center. Our eyes better be upon him. He's got to be first in everything. Otherwise, even in a unity, there's going to be a false unity. In fact, when the Antichrist comes, they're all going to be unified, but it's not going to be in the name of the Lord. And it doesn't end well. Notice one other thing about this verse here. He says, I and them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one. And then again, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And throughout this prayer, Jesus speaks about his desire for the world to know him. But what's interesting, earlier in the prayer, he said, I don't pray for the world. And if you just stop there, you're like, oh man, what's up? Jesus doesn't pray for the world. Jesus doesn't pray for unbelievers. No, the context is him saying, I am praying for you that you would walk in the unity with me so that you could be unified, 
so that through that the world may see that this is real and they would come to know me. And as I thought about that this week, you know, I just thought about the Lord's heart to want to see people that don't know him to come to know him. You see that evangelism is a high priority with God and that's where we got to ask the question, where is it with me? Is it a high priority seeing people that don't know the Lord to come to know the Lord or is it just an afterthought? And if it's just an afterthought, I would really encourage you to step back and examine your life and say, am I really abiding in the Lord? Aren't you glad that the Lord was concerned about your salvation before you came to know the Lord? He absolutely was and is. And again, he's praying that our light would shine. And to me, this just, you know, it tells me, again, he's the one that draws. He's the one that saves. He's the active party. He is the head, but we are the body. And I think sometimes we underestimate our role in evangelism. Now, I don't save anybody. I'm not the Holy Spirit. We'd all be in big trouble if I were. (sighs) And neither are you. But we do have a bigger role than I think we even begin to comprehend in being tools in God's hands to bring people to him. It's all here in this passage. That the world would see and know. Matthew 5, 14, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And listen, if I, my eyes aren't on the Lord, I got no light to offer. I ain't got any, not even an iota. It's got to come from the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. 24, he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you have loved me before the foundation of the world. And the Lord had told them he was going away and they wouldn't see him and they'd be sorrowful. But then he said, you'll see me again and you'll be joyful. Talking about his death and his resurrection. Then he would ascend to the father and they'd be looking up and an angel would say, why are you looking up? He's gonna come back the same way he went up. And praise God, as the Lord came the first time, he's going to come the second time. And that time can come at any time for his church. And listen, in that day, we are going to firsthand, we are going to firsthand bear witness of the glory unity, the glory of the unity of the Trinity of our God. We're going to see firsthand the glory of the resurrected Christ. We're going to firsthand see the glory of the perfect love of God, which has been there since the foundation of the earth, his love for the son. And even beyond that, as he always has been, is, and always will be. And not only will we behold it in Christ Jesus, this is awesome. We're going to be a partaker of it. We're going to partake of, of, of his glory forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And listen, that's a glorious thing. Verse 25, as the Lord's winding down the prayer, he says, oh, righteous father, and praise God, he is righteous. The world has not known you, but I have known you. These have known 
that you sent me. And again, the world does not know the Father because the world does not know the Son. The world's lost. They're under the sway of the wicked one. But we know the Lord, we know the Son because we know the Father and we know him by grace alone, through faith alone, and him alone. And that's where we should pray, oh Lord, let us draw near to you so we could be a light to the world that does not know you but needs to come to know you. And then he says, and I have declared to them your name and I will declare it that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And absolutely Jesus declared who the father was in his coming he declared the name of the father he said if you see the son you see the father and not only did he declare it he says i will declare it and he declares it through the work of the spirit of god he declares it through the word of god and from the context here he wants to declare it through him working through the church of god through the body of jesus christ And notice here that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And why did he do all this? So that we could have a love relationship with him. And beautifully, knowing the end from the beginning, he went to the cross even when we are in our rebellion. Knowing that day would come when you would call upon the name of the Lord and come to faith in him. We'll close with this, Romans 5, 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love towards us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Is that not good news? Let's stand up and pray. Oh, Lord God, we bless you. We praise you. We just thank you for who you are. Lord, I think of the prayer of John the Baptist, as he said, concerning Jesus Christ. He said, may he increase and I decrease. And Lord God, let that be, Lord, our prayer this morning, that you would increase. God, that your mind would increase in our mind. Lord God, that you'd get hold of our heart more. God, that our minds would get renewed and be found being renewed more and more every day through the word of truth. God, that there would be less, God, of the works of the flesh and more of the works of the Holy Spirit in our life. God, that fear would be swallowed up by faith, that we would realize, hey, it's okay to trust things to God, that I need to live as if I don't possess and not count my life dear to myself, that the Lord could work in and through my life. Help us in these things, God. We need your help. And listen, if you're here today and you haven't called on the Lord, you've heard the good news today. You've heard bad news, the bad news of sin and condemnation. And it is bad news. It's horrible news. But the good news is that, again, Jesus came and lived a sinless life and paid the penalty and the cost of your sin at the cross of Calvary and he rose from the grave and defeated the wages of our sin death that whoever would call upon the name of the Lord and that means you're asking Jesus to be the Lord of your life you're saying I no longer want to be Lord Jesus be the Lord of my life the Bible says that you will be saved
I don't know, maybe we all know him here today, but if we don't, and there's any here that don't, boy, I can't encourage you enough to call on him this morning. Listen, your soul hangs on the balance, and we don't know what the rest of this day even holds. It's just the truth of the matter. Are you right with God? Have you called upon Christ? If you haven't, I can again encourage you and implore you enough to call on him this day because today is the day of salvation and now right now is the acceptable time to get born again and if that's you and you're saying Steve I believe and I want to call on his name I, I, I would I would love to lead you in a just simple prayer affirming what's going on in your heart so that you can leave here even knowing I've called on his name and I've put my faith and my trust in him and then you can begin to grow in him and abound in him and we have Bibles right out the door we'd love to put in your hands. If that's you, just pray with me today and any that know him, I want to invite you to pray with me as well because we stand in support of you. We are just sinners saved by grace in this place. So let's pray together. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I need you. I know I'm a sinner. I need to be forgiven and washed. I believe you died for my sin. You rose from the grave to give life. I ask for that life. I ask for you to forgive me. Please be my Lord. Be my Savior and my God all of my days. Or meet me where I am and help me right here. Lord, we just pray, God, your blessing on, Lord, any that have prayed that prayer today for the first time or maybe someone just saying, I need to settle this right now. I need to settle it. Know that I know that Jesus is my Lord. Lord, we just pray, God, for a, just a, a great infilling, empowering of your Holy Spirit for these folks. And Lord, we want to finish well right now in giving you praise. So help us to do that. Let's worship the Lord as we finish here.
Amen? Amen. Listen, we got about uh, 35 minutes before the next service. There's coffee out there and and, a warm patio in here. Fellowship with someone, encourage someone. And Lord willing, we'll see you on Tuesday night. God bless you.